lot of our mission was to change minds one book at a time. That's our slogan. And what that means is we wanted to become a place where folk could come in. They could come right around the corner, right down the street and come to a bookstore and see themselves in all the books that were in the bookstore. Welcome to Cambridge Forum. I'm Mary Stack, and today I'm delighted to be handing over the microphone to Andrew Kimball, who will be guest moderating today's program. I'm equally pleased to be shepherding a topic dear to my heart, books and bookstores, independent bookstores. Gloria Steinem once said, wherever I go, bookstores are still the closest thing to a town square, and I couldn't put it better. Without further ado, I'm going to hand over now to Andrew, who, when not frequenting new and used bookstores himself, has his hands full being Director of Online Lifelong Learning at BU School of Theology. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you, Mary, for such a warm introduction. As Mary said, I am a bibliophile who loves frequenting local bookstores for several reasons. I enjoy their feng shui and aesthetic appeal the way the spaces represent the interest of the people in their neighborhood or community. And of course, it gives me the chance to browse the stacks with other like-minded people in search of a new find. Well, something exciting and rather unexpected has happened over the past few years. More than 300 new independent bookstores have opened across the country and the bookstore owners and their inventory have become much more diverse. This is partly attributable to the pandemic people were shuttered in for extended periods and had time to read. Secondly, they recognized their hunger for a place of connection that was safe. The public had rallied to support their local bookstores during lockdown and when restrictions relaxed, people returned to their favorite places. These precious bookstores represented much more than anonymous Amazonian warehouses for purchasing. They had become much needed centers for community engagement and dialogue, a nexus of ideas and human interaction. We are joined tonight by three guests who reflect quite distinct areas of our literary marketplace. First, we have Leonard and Clarissa Egerton, who are the owners of the Frugal Bookstore in Roxbury, the only Black-owned bookstore in Boston. Since 2008, they have worked diligently to be a place where people in their community, young and old, can see themselves reflected in the pages of books. They are joined by Christina Pascucci Chiampa, the owner of All She Wrote Books in Somerville, which is an inclusive, feminist, and queer indie bookstore that supports, celebrates, and amplifies another section of underrepresented voices. And finally, we welcome Rachel Cass, the general manager of Harvard Bookstore in Cambridge. Harvard Bookstore has been a locally owned, independently run bookstore since 1932. Well, let's get started. What is your bookstore's specific mission and how did the store come into being? I think, Christina, you will be first. So All She Wrote Books uh, is Boston's really only queer feminist bookstore that exists. Uh, we started as a pop-up bookstore. So we used to travel like, like a mobile bookstore to different markets, different locations, and started very small with intentions of eventually going with a brick and mortar. Um, and that occurred <laughs> Interestingly enough, in 2020, it was not the original intention, but uh, we still press forward and we've been in the same location for over two years. Um, I'm really excited to be part of that 
but ultimately like one of the biggest reasons why I chose to open the bookstore was because of the fact that I wasn't seeing the representation of queer voices of voices that have been historically marginalized um, across the board, aside from obviously going and walking into frugal, um, there really wasn't much of that. And so I really wanted to see more queer stories. And that means this, not the same five queer stories or queer fem or feminist texts that we constantly see all the time on the shelves. It was about different types of stories, like about second wave feminism, its flaws and its beauties. So it, having that representation in the store was super important. Yeah, so I will leave it at that. I'm sure I'll answer more questions later on. So thank you for having me though. Leonard, can you tell us a little bit about the Frugal Bookstore mission and how you came into being? Well, we actually started because I was looking for employment and there was a furniture store in our neighborhood, Frugal Furniture. And within the furniture store, there was like a niche where there were books. And I asked the gentleman, you know, if I could um, work with him. And he said he was looking for somebody to help him with his books. And that was really great because it was along the lines that I was looking for. So I started working there with him and he asked me would I help him to continue build the bookstore because all of the books in there were like something that I had never seen before. It was like a lot of books with people who looked just like me. We were able to build a little uh, following and he told me if we continued down this path that he would eventually sell us the bookstore. When I say us, I mean my, who is now my wife, Clarissa. And True to his word, Mr. Romano, he sold us the bookstore in 2008. And from that moment, you know, it, when it became ours, we knew that, you know, part of our mission was to um, change minds one book at a time. That's our slogan. And what that means is it, within our community, we uh, historically um, sometimes looked at as having a low literacy rate. So we wanted to help increase the literacy rate. We wanted to become a place where folk could come in. They didn't have to go, you know, um, outside of the community to go to a bookstore. They could come right around the corner, right down the street and come to a bookstore and see themselves in all the books that were in the bookstore. You know, people can come into our store and they can see um, not just the ordinary Maya Angelou's and the uh, James Baldwin's, you know, we have a lot of local authors who look just like we look and their books are in our store. So representation meant a lot for us. Thank you so much. You're and welcome. Rachel, Harvard Bookstore has a long legacy and perhaps history. Tell us a little bit more about your mission and how you came yeah. into um, so Harvard Bookstore started in 1932, um, before the days when there were real university bookstores, campus bookstores. So over the years, we've sold used textbooks to the university, um, was, was sort of where we got our start. We're not affiliated with the university anymore. We don't, do, or we're not affiliated with the university at all. We don't really do textbooks anymore. But 
while our mission isn't sort of as specific as Christina's and Leonard's, we're in an academic neighborhood, we're right across the street from Widener Library. And we really see our mission as trying to make ideas as accessible as possible to people. So we have a really wide ranging inventory, everything from fiction, including genre fiction, through lots of academic subjects, including philosophy, sociology. Um, we have a huge history section. Um, and we really wanna be a place where people can come and engage in ideas, both through our selection and through the author events that we host. Yeah. Thank you so much. All distinct missions, but somewhat related. And let's dive a little bit deeper. Given your mission, what is your approach to curating books? When we think of museum curators, they typically have an eye for a specific type of art or artifact. What is your eye drawn to when it comes to choosing books? And who are your customers? You know, I think one of the biggest things is the fact that similar to what Leonard just mentioned about being able to see yourself in the pages that are within the books on the shelf. So it's about representation of oneself. So for me as a queer person, like being able to see myself within the pages of different stories and not just stories of sadness. I think that is a perception of, you know, queer stories, whether they're fiction or nonfiction, there seems to be this like thing about, you know, struggle, constant struggle, but there's actually not just that it's, there's more than that. There's joy, there's beauty, there's kindness, there's laughter, there's many other components to that. And I think why, you know, our curation is the way it is in the breadth of it is because we want to display all of those types of feelings and emotions that one would get you know, from those different stories and those different perspectives. So it's really important to have that reflected. So for us, our curation in having that representation. The other piece of the representation though is calling out some of the, whether it's feminism, like when we're talking about feminism, there are many windows, <laughs> not windows, but there are many things and perspectives about feminism. There's the great things about feminism, there's also the dark stuff. So it's making sure that that is also reflected within the books on our shelves as well. So how does that look today versus in the seventies when there was the second wave, right? So being able to, to see that and understand that both from a, an adult perspective, but also all the way down to a child's perspective. So making sure that our curation is reflective of that is extremely important and relates back to our mission. Awesome. Thank you. And Rachel? Yeah, at our store, we think a lot about looking for new ideas, looking for a range of ideas. Um, so in all of our sections, we're a fairly large store. We have um, 5,500 square feet. So we have room for a lot of books in our store. Um, but we're really trying to look for new ideas. Um, we're trying to look to include as many voices as we can in all of our sections. Um, because we're a large store, we're able to carry a lot of books, a lot of titles in each section, but we think really carefully about curation, particularly in terms of the books that we display at the front of the store and the books that we feature. So we sort of think about what is our community interested in? What are they looking for? What ideas are new that they might not know about, but might be interested in? Um, and we're really doing that across all subjects. Like I said, we, we sort of have an academic bent. So we have a new academic section at the front of our store and we're trying to bring 
new titles from academic presses to the forefront across topics. We do a lot of science, a lot of history, a lot of philosophy and cultural criticism, that type of thing. But we also have staff recommendations at the front of the store that are really our staff's personality and what they're loving. And that that really runs the gamut from romance novels through more academic books and everything in between. So we do less very specific curation, but we're really looking for what's new um, and what people haven't seen before, in addition to the things that we know they're going to come to us for because we're a general bookstore. Can you speak a little bit about the printing press that used to be at Harvard Bookstore, how popular that might have been and why that's no longer accessible? So we used to have a print-on-demand machine. Um, If you've been in the store, it's actually still there. It's not really operating um, anymore. We stopped that business last spring. There were really wonderful things about it, and there were real challenges about it. And just as a piece of our business, it didn't really make sense to keep, keep it going. But we did have some really wonderful experiences with it. Um, One thing we all loved was that all of the books that are across the street at Widener Library, you know, you have to have a Harvard ID to get into Widener Library. But if they were in the public domain and had been scanned by Google, we were able to print them. So when my husband was doing his PhD dissertation, I printed books for him at the store that he could use for his research that were sort of primary texts, um, for example. Um, But we also did a lot of printing for local authors, for people doing you know, a family cookbook that they wanted to print 30 copies of and give out at a reunion or people who are actually printing their book to be sold in the store and to be sold other places. So it really, and we did some projects ourselves. We did some short story contests and other things that we printed on it for ourselves. So it was really fun to have in the store. Um, And I I think in many ways, a great community outreach, but in, in, in the end, it didn't really make sense to keep it going at the point that we were at, which was, it was a little sad to let it go. And Christina, for you at All She Wrote, in addition to selling wonderful selections of books, what other um, services or programs might you do for the community? Yeah, so back in 2021, we had started a actual free little library in the East Somerville community that specifically had a curation very much like ours, so reflective of the community. So that included Spanish language books, that included books with people of color that included the range of books. So adult to, you know, toddler or baby and really making sure that that was accessible to everyone. So that was in partnership with a lovely organization church called Connection. And the response that we received from the community has been really amazing. And uh, to the point where, you know, we've done a few fundraisers this year around it. Uh, to continue to support that free book, um, that free little library. Um, and it's not really little, it's kind of decently sized. I'd say it's like a good size wall if, if you look at it, but we're really proud of that project. The other things we do, we also do other types of things that maybe you wouldn't think about with a bookstore. So we actually host comedy nights. We have comics, local comics uh, from the area that are just super talented, amazing people looking to get their start. And uh, shout out to Fodball Productions. They're an amazing group. Um, We usually host them about once a month. And with those shows, we tie an element of... um, an organization to it. So this actually last Friday, we actually did a fundraiser for the brain aneurysm foundation. My father passed away from a brain aneurysm in 2021. Um, He did get to see the bookstore in all its glory before he passed, but it was really important 
for this comedy show to um, have that piece to it. And a lot of the comedy shows that we run have, you know, we've donated to the Trans Emergency Fund, the uh, Room to Read Project, many different types of organizations. So so it's more than just a bookstore. It's it's a community space. It's a space to, you know, do more than just sell books and talk about books, but to have like conversations. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. And Leonard, what do you think of as you curate the shelves at Frugal Bookstore? What do I think of? I think of all the books that all the other bookstores don't have. It, it, it's really easy to, you know, go to the publishers and get all the books that, you know, come out every week, come out every month, every Tuesday, I think books come out. But we look for those books that are written by Black authors and Latino authors and African authors and local authors that a lot of other places do not have. You know, because like I say, it's easy to get those books. It's, it's a lot harder to source um, locally um, authored books, which we have a lot of in our bookstore. We call it Boston's Finest. That's the name of the section. So it's it's really fun at times because, you know, I, I get to spend a lot of time just online, just looking or going through emails and going through Twitter, seeing who's trying to sell their books that live around the corner that we don't know about. You know, so it's it's it can be a very sometimes trying time because a lot of local authors don't have the same resources as the um, authors who are with the bigger publishing houses. So they're not always able to keep their books in print. You know, so when you're able to get those books, it's it's a gem. And it's something that, like I say, we highlighted by in our section, Boston's Finest. That's a great segue into our next question that gets to the business of indie bookstores. The New York Times highlighted the fact that the 300 plus bookstores that have opened in the past couple of years are more diverse and that the rapid growth of physical bookshops is especially surprising at a time when brick and mortar stores face crushing competition from Amazon and other online retailers. But one expected outcome of the pandemic was that many communities rallied around their bookstores in a time of crisis. In what ways have your communities rallied around your bookstores during and post pandemic? Let's work our way backwards. Rachel, let's begin with you and then Leonard and then Christina. Um, so we closed our doors in the middle of March 2020, like everyone did, um, and we truly didn't do any fulfillment of orders or anything for a couple of months, three months maybe. Eventually we started fulfilling our own web orders again, um, and then we opened our doors to the public with limited uh, capacity in, I think it was July of that summer. Um, so we opened, we reopened pretty early once we were able to do that, but we have always, we've had a website for a very long time, we're harbor.com, and we've sold books through that for a very long time, but it's been a relatively small part of our business. And we really, really saw that take off during the pandemic and people really were coming to us to shop online when we were closed and when we were open, but limited hours or limited capacity. Um, and we really saw people step up. Um, at one point in the fall, um, our owners, Jeff and Linda, sent an email um, to our customers sort of saying what the state of the situation was and, what we needed for the holidays and sort of how important it was to get us through. And our customers really, really responded. 
Um, and it's been really wonderful. Now that we're open sort of normal hours again, um, we're really seeing people come back and that's been wonderful too. It was a really bustling holiday season, which was so fun. Um, I was in the store a lot um, in the weeks before Christmas um, and it was really a lot of fun. We've also, we've had these in-person warehouse sales at our warehouse um, offsite for years and they were really a lot of, they were packed, packed sales. We sell bargain books out of our out of our warehouse, um, and we had to stop doing those during the pandemic. But we moved those online as well, and people have showed up for those too. So I think during the pandemic, people saw businesses that they really loved close um, because it was just such a challenging time for small businesses, especially. And I think it really brought it home for people that if there are businesses that they love and they want to stay there, they have to support them. And I know that we saw that from our customers and are continuing to see that. And, and Leonard, so it, the immediate community came out, but the much broader community came out when uh, the pandemic began. You know, and like everyone else, else on the panel, the, you know, the governor gave the order to close stores. So um, folk kept buying from us on the internet. That turned into, we had to pivot to selling online and fulfilling orders online. So we changed the, the look of the bookstore. It became like a little fulfillment center. And then, you know, I, I like to say it, it was a bittersweet time for us when George Floyd was murdered. And folk, there was a change in attitude in the country. It seemed like folk wanted to read about what the history of Black people and, and other marginalized people, what we go through or have gone through. And fortunate, we had a friend of ours, Kim Parker, who um, she had a lot of educators online, a lot of folk all over the country who, who pay attention to, to her. And they were asking her, how can we support? And she said, you can read. And not only read, you can buy it from a Black-owned bookstore, or you can buy it from a small bookstore. And I tell you, within 24 hours, we had like 20,000 orders that came from all over the country. And that's how we were supported. So it, it took all hands on deck. My whole family was involved in getting these orders out to people all across this country. And it, it hasn't stopped in a sense. We still are the beneficiary of a lot of support from people, not only in our community, but around this country who like what we do. Thank you. Christina, please. So I might have quickly mentioned this in the beginning. Um, so we originally had um, the intention of opening our brick and mortar and doing a big grand opening around Indie Bookstore Day of 2020. And mm. obviously that did not happen um, clearly. So the room that you're seeing me in this evening, this is the shipping and fulfillment that occurred from January to May <laughs> of 2020. So thank you to everyone who did do that. And that was kind of how we started. And we were fortunate enough to um, get some folks to notice us um, that we were, you know, we had the intentions of opening our bookstore very soon. And so we had some press that allowed us to give recommendations. Uh, shout out to Boston Mag for that. Um, and so that really sent people to our website. So similar to Leonard, literally we had to go online and that was not something that was fully built out for us because we were just doing pop-ups. 
Um, so me, myself, and I built the entire e-commerce site that you see today for All She Wrote Books um, in a previous life. That's what I used to do. Um, I'm a former marketer and web person. So it was not hard for me to do, but it was definitely a labor of love. And then finally, when we were able to actually occupy our space again for the first time, that's when we got to work and, you know, started getting ready to open, which similar to Rachel, we opened July 10th of 2020 was our first official day. Um, and that meant to appointment only masked and, um, you know, mostly parties of four people or more. It was really important for us to keep our community safe. But at the same time, though, despite the fact that like, yeah, we were the new kid on the block. Yeah, many people didn't really know about us yet. But the thing is, is that those who did come, those who did show up, they showed up and they consistently showed up and they continue to show up today. And I feel like echoing kind of what Leonard was mentioning and, and Rachel is like your community, they'll show up for you. And, uh, you know, our community has grown since then because of the, of the, you know, efforts that we do in the community. And, you know, the fact that we've had our own drag queen store, drag drag story hour, you know, interrupted a little bit, you know, people have heard about us and want to help and do more. So, you know, but it's all positive. So that's the most important thing here is that when your community exists, they show up and they'll consistently show up for you. And I feel like that's the thing that we can sit with and be, you know, you know, be settled with it, if you will. Like it's, it's a beautiful thing. And and many of us are so appreciative of it. So we talked a lot about a lot about the upside of, of the indie bookstore enterprise. Let's talk a little bit about the challenges. In what ways do you see the landscape of independent bookstores evolving in the future in the full knowledge that there are challenges? Many bookstore owners are confronting a new uncertainty about the overall economy, labor shortages, supply chain snafus, and people tightening grains on their spending, all of which can drive down consumer spending. Will books suffer? <laughs> Will books suffer? It's always a thought that because of, like we're in an area that's, that's being gentrified right now. And it's always in the back of our mind that someone could come and buy this building and jack the rent up and we'll, would we be able to survive? We would hope we could depend on that community effort to help us stay alive. And they would want a bookstore to stay here because we've been here so long. Um, but we're well aware that with the processes that are going on in this city that, you know, we could possibly forcibly move out of here, you know, um, and have to start over somewhere. It's always a fright. So it's, it's always a, a concern that however the tide of society turns, you know, will we be able to successfully, you know, ride the wave with it? Gentrification is real. I'm, you know, what Leonard is talking about is real. And a developer could come in at any time and just completely take us out. But the thing is, is that we have to, we are constantly by us consistently showing up and doing the work that we do every day, both in our communities and in our bookstores. That just demonstrates how powerful we are and why we exist. And so, you know, I'm the type of person that I'm just going to keep fighting the fight. My dad was that way and I'm just that way myself. And so 
to me, like we should be here, we should exist. And like, you know, people have to also have some realistic expectations of life. Um, and that may need to be a reset of people, but I feel like that reset did happen a little bit in the pandemic. It's something that I constantly talk about all the time in the bookstore is like the fact that patience is virtue. I know that sounds cliche, but it really truly is. And once you have that book in your hand, nothing else matters at that point. So yeah, like it's scary. It's a scary thing right now and you don't know what's going to happen. But if you live in that fear and you just continuously let that fester, like you're not going to, you're going to forget all the amazing work and the things that you're doing for both your community as well as your, your store itself. So I think you have to balance out those two things. It's, it's tough. It's not the easiest thing, but it's doable. Thank you so much for your wisdom, uh, insight and candor today. I'd like to thank you all for making the time to join us for this great topic today. Keep supporting your independent bookstores. Keep buying books. So Cambridge Forum is made possible through the generosity of Herbert and Dorothy Vetter, the Lowell Institute, Mass Cultural Council, the Cambridge Community Foundation, and of course you. So if you want to donate or sign up to our list, please visit the website cambridgeforum.org. Thank you all for joining us and I hope to see you all soon.